I'm Kit Hammer. And I'm Alex Karsher. And, and we're, we're live from, from Building 7. Seven. We're bringing you Microsoft news, fresh IoT updates, and a printer you'll never forget. We're both Microsoft employees by day, but by night we are here to bring you this unofficial and unendorsed broadcast. Here's the news for Friday, February 28th to Thursday, March 5th, 2020. Microsoft stock closed Thursday, March 5th at $166.27 a share, up 5.1% from last Thursday and giving Microsoft a total market cap of $1.25 trillion. And that's right, you did hear that correctly. It is up from last week, although last week it was really down, so we're still kind of down overall for the last two weeks. And related to that, we're actually going to top off the show with a bit of COVID updates, COVID-19 updates. Uh... So Microsoft has released a memo containing their guidelines for employees in the Puget Sound, which is the Seattle area, basically, and the Bay Area around SF, San Francisco, uh, and they have both seen an increasing number of coronavirus cases. Employees are encouraged to work from home until March 25th, unless they absolutely must be on site to do their jobs, like folks who are working in data centers or retail locations. Those who must go into the office or another work environment are encouraged to stay at least six feet away from others and keep in-person meetings as short as possible. In a follow-up blog post, Microsoft President Brad Smith confirmed that while there will be a reduced need for support staff on campus, Microsoft will continue paying all of their hourly workers their full wages, even if their work hours are reduced. The Seattle area office alone employees about 4,500 hourly employees so they're working in areas like food service and transportation and AV and so they won't be operating at full capacity because everyone is you know sitting in their houses and so during this time though they're making sure that they have the full resources they need to take care of their families and pay their rent and stay safe during this crisis Uh, and Facebook and Amazon are also imploring that their employees work remotely through the end of March if possible and I would like to point out that we are technically less than six feet away from each other. <laughs> Although, as we did tell you at the start of the show, we're Microsoft employees by day, at least six feet apart. And then by night, we go here into the <laughs> podcast studio where we are closer than six feet. Together. I would say like maybe three, three feet. I, I'd say it's three to four feet. This is a pretty standard Ikea table. In other news, in the same strain of news, Microsoft is canceling its Most Valuable Professional, or MVP, summit in Seattle and moving the event online. The virtual event will be held on the same dates as the in-person MVP summit was scheduled for, so that will be May 19th to the 21st. I look forward to seeing you all on a Teams meeting. The Minecraft team has announced that the Minecraft Festival, originally scheduled for September 2020, has been postponed due to coronavirus concerns. The organizers decided it was best to make the call and postpone the event as the timeline and nature of the COVID-19's impact remains uncertain. And it's hard to plan a successful event with organizers from all over the world when folks are not able to meet and collaborate as needed. So tickets were initially scheduled to go on sale this Friday, March 6th. So while the decision seems almost too forward-thinking, it actually was also kind of in the nick of time. 
And a little bit of good news this week, Microsoft is offering a six-month free trial of the Enterprise Edition of Teams due to the coronavirus spreading and ultimately causing lots of organizations to implement work-from-home policies. For individual users and small companies, you could already get a free license for Teams, but starting March 10th, Microsoft will allow access to some of the Teams premium features like scheduled calls and making a team of more than 300 people. Enterprises with an E1 license will need to contact their sales representative, but they can also get a six-month free trial. Microsoft also shared some pretty interesting metrics on the global shift to working remotely in China. Since January 31st, they have seen a five-times increase in Teams meetings, calls, and conferences in China, and a two-times increase in Teams usage on mobile devices in China. So it does seem like companies are trying to make the best of this and move as many meetings as they can onto some sort of teleconferencing platform. And with those updates, we now enter our Azure announcements for the week. Azure Dev Test Labs has added Azure Security Center alerts. Lab environments can now be monitored by Security Center, which will collect and analyze log data from resources, your network, and connected solutions to automatically generate security alerts. Azure IoT has announced a partnership with Cisco IoT to allow seamless integration between Cisco Internet of Things network devices and Azure. Cisco's edge processors will now allow end users to integrate with Microsoft's suite of Azure IoT services out of the box using Cisco's edge intelligence software. The key selling point here is being able to leverage Cisco's rich network of device integrations and their support of industry standard protocols like OPC, Unified Architecture, and Modus. Once you are connected to a device, it's a turnkey process to start piping data up to Azure IoT Hub or another Azure service for processing. You will be able to run workloads on Cisco IoT Edge devices as well, so you can pull a lot of the neat party tricks as what you can with the Azure Databox Edge or any other kind of edge processing unit. So you can filter data or run arbitrary calculations before your data gets uploaded to Azure. The Azure IoT Python SDK v2 has been released. This new version of the Python SDK significantly improves on its predecessor in a number of ways. The original Azure IoT Python SDK was a wrapper around the C SDK, and as a result, it was complicated in setup and syntax in a way that didn't serve Python developers very well. So installation is now easier. You just need to run a pip command, and the API content is much more readable and succinct with simpler names, methods, and syntax. In addition to the overall Overall plusher dev experience, the new IoT Python SDK adds new functionality, including support for module clients, support for asynchronous API, and direct upload to Azure Blob Storage. And if that's not enough for you, well, v2.0.1 has actually been released as well, right along with the v2 announcement, which brings support for cloud-to-device messaging and improves MQTT connection resiliency. Big news from the app service team this week, and that is the general availability of regional VNet integration for web apps and function apps. This feature allows your website or function app to connect to a virtual network to conduct private communications. The GA brings a whole bunch of new features, including the ability to route all traffic uh, into the virtual network, leaving your web app or function app. So then you can apply user-defined routes and network security group rules to direct 
or stop that traffic from going out to the broader internet. Before this, the virtual network integration was just one more way for your app to communicate, but it didn't necessarily require that all of the traffic go down the virtual network path, so you couldn't block access to the rest of the internet. You can also use this integration to connect to subnets outside of the RFC 1918 range of private IPs, so if your organization wants to use public IPs inside of a private network, they are now free to do so. The regional GA of virtual network integration is coming to Windows app service apps and function apps with Linux still in preview GA pending. Adaptive routing is enabled on the HBv2 and NDRv2 VM families as of March 1st, and over the next several weeks, adaptive routing will also roll out to HB and HC virtual machines. Adaptive routing improves latency and bandwidth for Azure VMs running EDR and HDR InfiniBand by dynamically choosing optimal network paths. We have two results this week from our query for database news. First off, Azure Database for Postgres SQL Hyperscale is now generally available and will be one of the first Azure Arc-enabled services. Following up that news, the Azure Data team is taking the wraps off of a Microsoft-supported distribution of Apache Hadoop and Spark for HD Insight. This distribution of Apache Hadoop is 100% open source and compatible with the latest version of Hadoop. Users can now provision a new HD Insight cluster based on Apache code, but built and wholly supported by Microsoft. So this will enable Microsoft to more aggressively push updates and integrate directly with first-party services like Key Vault, Synapse, Analytics, and Cosmos DB. And Azure Backups is previewing a new capability called Backup Reports that can track storage consumption, perform audits of backups and restores, and view reports to help identify failure points. The reports are available across multiple workload types and can be used to view data at a high level across subscriptions and regions or to see metrics for individual resources. This week, Azure Data Factory added some new functionality for all of you big data believers out there. First up is a new flash transformation that allows you to convert hierarchical data structures like JSON into individual rows to essentially flatten out your array. Uh, second down the assembly line in our data factory is an updated lookup operation that allows you to select a single row instead of matching rows using left outer for all possible lookup operations. This is Honestly, really, really, really helpful for anybody in Data Factory all the time. Finally, the UI for a switch container activity has been updated to show operations nested inside of if, until, for each, and switch activities. Azure Cosmos DB Jupyter Notebooks is previewing several new features for data curious individuals to revel in. <laughs> The new set of features includes the ability to bulk upload data into a container using a single line command, an integrated interact data explorer for generating visualizations, and a SQL command that will query against Cosmos DB. Azure Files now has preview support for Active Directory authentication on SMB access to file shares. That's right, you can now use Active Directory credentials to mount file shares on domain-joined VMs or uh, in Azure or on-premises, and you can even set up file sync in Azure Files to persist the exact same access control lists between on-premises and Azure. NVV4 series VMs and NDV2 series are now generally available. 
NDV2 GPU VMs are built to handle high-performance workloads, and they're available in East U.S., South Central U.S., and West Europe. Meanwhile, NVV4 VMs provide flexible GPU sizing with the ability to provision down to one-eighth of a GPU, and those are now generally available in U.S. South Central and Europe West regions. Virtual Machine Scale Sets has added a whole roll of reliability updates this week. Virtual Machine Scale Sets, in general, is the Azure service for maintaining a fleet of identical load-balanced VMs. They now support automatic instance repairs in preview. This will automatically delete an unhealthy virtual machine and replace it with some new, fresh VM. A virtual Machine Scale Sets also has added the ability to control scale and upgrade operations on a per-instance basis, so you can now specify blocks of VMs that should not be deleted during a scale-in, as well as you can configure blocks of VMs that shouldn't be touched during upgrades or re-images. So if you are hosting an application that occasionally needs very dependable uptime, this setting makes a ton of sense. If you're hosting something like a retail oper- application during Black Friday, it might make a bunch of sense to set up those VMs in a known good fi- configuration to not be replaced or scaled back in so that you always have kind of some baseline of good instances. Cognitive Services Neural Text-to-Speech Service has added a voice for Brazilian Portuguese. Neural Text-to-Speech, or NTTS, is a service that will read aloud text documents using a natural-sounding voice and mimicking natural speech patterns by inserting pauses and varying intonation. This motivation to evolve synthetic voice comes from research showing that humans experience significantly less listening fatigue when interacting with natural-sounding AI voice systems as opposed to more robotic ones. So think, you know, Microsoft, Sam, and kind of the old school, like, hello, what do you want sort of thing. So this new Brazilian-Portuguese voice, which is named Francisca, actually all of the uh, neural text-to-speech voices have names. Uh, so this is the sixth neural text-to-speech voice that, that uh, Cognitive Services has released, as it currently supports two American English voices, a German voice, an Italian voice, and a Mandarin Chinese voice. So Francisca can speak either in a neutral or cheerful tone, with both options having been evaluated by human listeners as sounding very natural when compared to human speech and a Brazilian Portuguese voice from another cloud provider. If you want to hear the magic for yourself, the neural text-to-speech feature can be enabled in the new Edge browser, or there are some samples on the announcement blog post on the Azure AI blog. Azure SQL Database Managed Instances now support TLS 1.2 on outbound connections, and Power BI applications will need to be migrated to TLS 1.2 by the end of June to continue functioning. TLS 1.1 and below will reach end of life in March of this year, with support being phased out in March for most browsers, so y'all better get upgrading! Planned maintenance notifications are now in preview for Azure Database for PostgreSQL, MySQL, and MariaDB. Planned notifications will send users alerts when there are planned maintenance events for their Azure Database. Users can also set service health alerts that will send up to 72 hours in advance if there are issues or changes that may disrupt the Azure services or region that you're using. That is 72 hours in advance, to be clear. The Microsoft Open Source Software team is announcing version 2.0 of the Terraform Azure RM provider. This update to the popular resource orchestration toolkit adds a ton of new resource types, uh, but also it includes a few specific functionality updates. Specifically, you can now set a custom timeout per resource. So 
If you happen to know that a particular resource or resource group takes forever to delete, you can set that one up with a long timeout, but dial everything else back to a couple minutes of timeout so you can catch failures quickly. There is also now much more granular support for virtual machine and virtual machine skill set SKUs, uh, and also there is now error checking when adding new resources using the apply command so you don't accidentally double create resources. And in an impromptu continuation of last week, uh, we are going to dive into the Azure retirement community. I have learned my lesson this week. I will not be playing any music. (laughs) Service management REST APIs is fading into the golden sunset. And support for Service Bus, Relay, and Event Hubs will be retired on November 1st, 2021. (sighs) Folks are encouraged to move their dependent resources onto Azure Resource Manager before then to enjoy a more modern development experience. You're free now, Service Management REST APIs. You're free now. Don't let those golden years tarnish. And speaking of Azure Resource Manager... It's also taking the reins from a classic infrastructure as a service or IaaS VM using Azure Service Management on March 1st, 2023. As before, please initiate your transition before then to avoid any disruption of service as any classic IaaS VMs using Azure Service Management will be stopped and deallocated once that March 1st, 2023 date hits. Don't fret though, the earth has only so many rocks. The rocks can only make so much metal, the metal can only make so many Azure VM servers, and the cloud infrastructure moves on as we all must. All these Azure services. The Azure Cloud Shell team is announcing the availability of additional regions for persistent Cloud Shell storage. You can now deploy your storage to Central India, Southeast Asia, North Europe, West Europe, East US, South Central US, and West US. And additionally, you can now deploy your sur- your storage account in most regions in Azure as a secondary account as long as you're okay with longer startup times. Where in the world is all these Azure services? And that brings us into the rest of our Microsoft news. Woo. Microsoft and the National Football League have reaffirmed and expanded their partnership with the NFL declaring Microsoft Teams as their official communication platform. This expands on the existing relationship that Microsoft and the NFL had beginning in 2013, wherein Microsoft created exclusive modified Surface tablets for use by the NFL to help referee and coach and like referees and, and coaches handle their games on the sidelines. But now Teams is in the mix, so it only grows the love. We have some news hot off the presses and specifically hot presses news. Microsoft is announcing Universal Print, a cloud-based print solution for Microsoft 365. Cloud Print gives you the ability to host a virtual Universal Print server in the Microsoft 365 cloud. Universal Print servers in general are the often underappreciated workhorses of large-scale printing installations that let you enable tons of people to all print to the same printer without filling up that printer's queue or installing a driver for every single printer you want to access in like an office or a school or something. 
With CloudPrint, organizations can leverage a hosted print server and begin utilizing all of those slick new print server perks, like built-in driver support for Windows, group access restrictions for printers, location-based printer discovery, and a suite of -of out-of-the-box admin features for managing printers and print queues. As a person who was once a student in a frequently in a tearful panic before exams trying to print out crib sheets... I'm really excited to hear that they're trying to solve the problem of installing drivers on printers and having to hook up to things. So I think this will serve the public very well. No, this is this is really awesome to see. Xbox has announced two new semi-transparent wireless controller designs. One of them is entitled Phantom Magenta, and it looks like a freshly pressed fruit juice where the sediment has gradually settled to the bottom and the top of it is more of a translucent pink. And I feel like in trying to (laughs) describe all of this, I feel like I'm on the home shopping network. I want to embrace it. The other controller is called Arctic Camo, and it's a camouflage in icy shades of gray with a misty white fog of plastic in the background through which you can see the inner workings of the controller. They look nice. And if you collect controllers, these are fine-looking new offerings. The Phantom Men- <laughs> Magenta controller will be available March 17th, and the Arctic Camo controller is available in May with pre-orders now open for both. Microsoft Teams is gaining Outlook sharing And Outlook is gaining team sharing, along with some other chat improvements being enabled for teams this week. Starting off, you can now share an email thread in Outlook straight into a Teams chat with a fancy UI instead of doing it the old-fashioned way and downloading your email and then reattaching it to the Teams chat. That's pretty cool to see, but even more cool to see is the ability to go the other way and share a team's chat log straight into Outlook. No more ugly plain text chat logs for you. You can kick off an email straight from a team's chat that includes a beautiful, colorful, embedded chat log as if you had taken a screenshot of Teams and pasted it right into your Outlook message. Teams is also rolling out a few creature comforts like the ability to at mention people based on their tag So if your team has a tag for, say, cashiers or engineers or any other group kind of within an actual alias, you can mention them all in a message. Teams also now includes an organization-wide channel by default for any new tenants below 5,000 users. There are some Cortana functionality changes on the horizon with the next Windows 10 update coming along this spring. This update can actually kind of be broken down into what is added and what has been removed. So what has been added for Cortana? Well, Cortana will be taking on a bigger role as a productivity assistant in Windows 10 by integrating information from across M365 to give information and assist with calendar events, querying emails, setting reminders, adjusting Windows 10 settings, and using Bing to answer questions that the user has, and it will just go into the internet, as you would expect of any virtual assistant. But uh, with this, there is a slight uh, hitch, which is that users can no longer access Cortana without being logged into their school or work account, which makes sense with the more intense focus on productivity. They don't know about your work or school schedule if you're not actually logged into your account. So on the flip side, uh, things that have been removed. So some consumer skills, including music, connected home and third-party skills will no longer be available in the updated Cortana experience in Windows 10. Cortana will also be removed from the Microsoft launcher on Android by the end of April, and Cortana service will be ending for older versions of Windows that have reached their end-of-service dates. 
As Cortana always says, wake me when you need me. Continuing on, the UI Flows feature of Microsoft's Power Automate will be going GA on April 2nd. Power Automate was previously branded as Microsoft Flow, but it now encompasses a whole suite of automation tools, including UI Flows, which enables UI-based automation for legacy apps that do not themselves support connectors in Flow. So you can automate processes in whatever legacy app your organization is still using. This week, the team announced that the general availability for that feature is scheduled for April 2nd, so look forward to that next month. The Microsoft Authenticator app for iOS is rolling out an update that will allow users to change their password, update security information, and view recent activity on Microsoft accounts. The update is starting on the iOS test flight and will be reaching users over the next few weeks. You can check out these new security features by going into the accounts menu of your Authenticator app, where the new functionality options will be listed when you select an account to view. Now, this is a bit of an impromptu product review, but I really like the Authenticator app on the Apple Watch. It's really awesome for approving my Authenticator requests, and I hope that they add the change password feature to the Apple Watch app so that while I'm riding up the elevator, I can just idly keep resetting my Microsoft account password. That just sounds like all the fun in the world. I still use a Pebble. In other news, this week the PowerShell team is announcing the GA of PowerShell 7.0. It has been three years since PowerShell 6.0 was announced, uh, open sourced and released on PC and Mac. 7.0 brings some functional updates alongside updated .NET and Windows dependency support. On the functional side, for each operations now support a flag to run every single item in your loop in parallel. I cannot imagine how many system admins are literally jumping up and down right now to the thought of finally being able to kick off a long, a bunch of long running processes at the same time. 7.0 brings some new operations like a one line if then syntax and a get error commandlet for more easily parsing complicated error message. This version uh, brings support for .NET Core 3.1 and backwards compatibility <laughs> and backwards compatibility for PowerShell commandlets requiring Windows GUI or GUI functionality like OutGridView and Show Command. Finally, the PowerShell team has one housekeeping update. This version will be released simultaneously across Windows, macOS, and Linux, so the team will be dropping the PowerShell Core branding from most documents. Going forward, they will call Power. PowerShell 7 just by its one true name, PowerShell 7. From Engadget, Microsoft and IBM have signed a pledge to follow the Vatican's guidelines for ethical AI. The document, signed by Microsoft President Brad Smith and IBM's Executive VP Brad Kelly, focuses on safeguarding human rights as AI grows more prevalent in everyday technology and is utilized in sectors like law enforcement, healthcare, and education. We have saved the absolute best news for last. The newly remastered Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary is now available for PC as a part of Halo the Master Chief Collection. Earlier this year, Halo Reach was released in remastered form for the PC, and we reported on Halo CE being released to beta testers just a few weeks ago. 
Halo CE was the first Halo game to be released uh, on the Xbox and was also previously available on the PC about 13 years ago in normal, not remastered form. So this makes it a bit more of an interesting nut to crack since enthusiasts will now get to directly compare the old PC version with the new PC version. The changes are mostly cosmetic in the remastered version with new high resolution graphics and models, as well as a bunch of others, uh, a bunch of other support for stuff like variable frame rate, ultra wide monitors and custom key bindings. Since the team is remastering games in chronological order the next games will be much more uh simply ordered with two three odst and then three being released Whew, that is all of the news we have for this week thank you all so much for listening send your feedback to live from building 7 at gmail.com tweet us at live from v7 or head on over to our website at building 7.live to see show notes and links to stories from today's show thank you to kevin mclaud for the music you are hearing throughout this episode this show was researched and produced by kit hammer and alex karsher with audio production by alex karsher thank you all so much for listening and we will be back next week with even even more microsoft Microsoft news i have to be honest what am I missing? Oh no, it's only the most genre-defying first-person shooter in the last 20 years. That's not helpful. Like, what's the thing about it? I know everyone is robots with visors. It's... And they're on... They're, like, in the Grand Canyon, and I've only seen pictures of it. Got a great story. The mechanics are so much more easy to pick up I than I know it's instrumental in Microsoft's gaming strategy, and many other facts about it I am ignorant of. Anyway, building some. I'm fans, uncultured. And I'm sorry. We're gonna listen to. We're gonna. We're gonna play all of the Halo games between this episode and the next episode, and we'll come back to you. We're all working from home, so we got a lot of free time on our hands here. For I mean, the next speak for week. yourself. I have like the entire world of knowledge at my fingertips. I mean, it's, it's and basically a lot vacation of books to read, day, right? A lot of baths to take, a lot of naps to take. I'm gonna be pretty busy. <laughs> anyway, building seven fans, be sure to wash your hands for at least twenty minutes every time you use the restroom. That's been live from Building 7 Hot Tech Tips. Good night!